<laughs> Welcome to an episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Chad. And this week we are going to dig into the topic of thought form entities or topaz. Where are they? Where do they come from? There have been a few episodes where we have mentioned tulpas. As a broad idea for an explanation for a few examples of entities such as Bigfoot and aliens and other mass hallucination, hallucinations. Hallucinations. Uh, we decided that maybe now that we're 20 episodes in, we should go back and cover something that we did talk about in episode four. So here you guys go. We're going to tell you what tulpas are. I actually learned a little bit. I was a little bit wrong in my assumption of a tulpa. So now we're going to talk about tulpas. Dave, what do you got for us? Alexander David Neal was a Belgium-French explorer, spiritualist, Buddhist, anarchist, and writer. She is most known for her 1924 visit to Lhasa, Tibet, when it was forbidden to foreigners. David Neal wrote over 30 books about Eastern religion, philosophy, and her travels, including Magic and Mystery in Tibet, which was published in 1929. She was the first woman to receive the title of a Tibetan Lama. She also studied in Madame Blavinsky's Theosophical Society. Helena Petrovna Blavatsky was a Russian occultist, philosopher, and co-founder of the Theosophical Society. Why can't the Russians have easier to pronounce names? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> now, theosophy is a philosophy that a knowledge of God may be achieved through direct intuition or special individual relations that all religions contain elements of the ancient wisdom, and that wise men throughout history have held the secret of spiritual power. Those who have been enlightened by divine wisdom can access a transcendent spiritual reality through mystical experience. So like Marvel's Doctor Strange. I honestly know absolutely nothing about <coughs> Doctor Strange. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting. Uncultured. Yeah, sorry. I mean, our daughter watches all that stuff, but after 12 seasons of Yo Gabba Gabba, I started tuning out what she was watching. There's a whole movie that Marvel made. I don't watch a lot of the Marvel movies. I, I like the, um, the Iron Man's because Robert Downey Jr. is pretty nice to look at. And I've seen one of the Avengers, and I've seen Thor. I've heard of Doctor Strange Love. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I've uh. actually never watched the Doctor Strange movie. Sorry. I failed. But shout out to uh, Stan Lee. RIP. Gone too soon. <laughs> now as I don't think that was too soon. He was like 19. It will always be too soon. <laughs> okay. He's a national treasure. <laughs> true, true. Sorry, Dave. No, y'all are fine. Y'all are fine. As taught by... As taught by Bavlatsky, Theosophy holds that there is an ancient and secretive brotherhood of spiritual adepts known as Ascended Masters, who, although found across the world, are centered in Tibet. These masters are believed to have cultivated great wisdom and supernatural powers, and Theosophists believe that it was they who initiated the modern Theosophical movement through disseminating their teachings via Blavatsky. They believe that these masters are attempting to revive knowledge of an ancient religion once found across the world, 
which will again come to eclipse the existing world religions. Some, be- some people believe Blavatsky brought Buddhism and Hinduism to the West and is one of many philosophers responsible for the New Age movement. She was also the first to coin the terms left-hand and right-hand path as it pertains to Western esotericism. We talked a lot about that in our... Um, Luciferianism. Now, even though some of you may not have heard of theosophy, you may have heard of things like auras, Akashic records, astrology, tarot, crystal healing, yoga. These all come from theosophists, either as original ideas or as explained in the writings of ancient Eastern philosophies for use in the Western world. I'm planning on doing more research into Helena Petrovna Blavatsky for a future episode. Back to Alexander David Neal. She claimed to have observed the mystical practices of Tolpa in 20th century Tibet. She reported Tolpas are magical formations generated by a powerful concentration of thought. David Neal wrote that an accomplished bodhisattva, that's a person who is able to reach nirvana, but delays doing so out of compassion in order to save suffering beings, is capable of affecting ten kinds of magic creations. The power of producing magic formations, tolkas, or less lasting and materialized tolpas, does not, however, belong exclusively to such mystic exalted beings. Any human, divine, or demonic being may be possessed of it. The only difference comes from the degree of power, and this depends on the strength of the concentration and quality of the mind itself. I'm going to read a story from Alexander David Neal's book, Magic and Mystery in Tibet. The second story has all the appearances of having been invented by a miscreant joker to ridicule the devotees, but it is not so. No one in Tibet finds it laughable or irreverent. The fact related is accepted as revealing strict truth about all cults. Whatever it may be, the worshipped object is only possessed with the power which is supplied to it by the collective concentration of thoughts and the faith of its worshippers. The aged mother of a trader, who went each year to India, asked her son to bring her a relic from the Holy Land. The trader promised to do so, but his mind being much occupied with the cares of his business, he forgot his promise. The old woman felt very sad, and the next year, when her son's caravan started again, she renewed her request for the holy relic. Again the trader promised to bring one, and again he forgot it. The same thing happened for the third time the following year. However, this time, the merchant remembered his promise before reaching his home and was much troubled at the ideal of once more disappointing his aged mother's eager expectation. As he pondered over the matter, seeking a way to mend his neglect, he caught sight of a dog's jaw lying near the road. A sudden inspiration came to him. He broke off a tooth of the bleached jawbone, wiped away the earth which covered it, and wrapped it in a piece of silk. Then, having reached his house, he offered the old bone to his mother, declaring it was a most precious relic, a tooth of the great Sariputra. Overjoyed, her heart filled with veneration, the good woman placed the tooth in a casket on the altar of the family shrine. Each day she worshipped before it, lighting lamps and burning incense. 
Other devotees joined in the worship, and after a time, rays of light shone from the dog's tooth, promoted holy relic. A popular Tibetan saying is born from that story. And I'm not going to try to pronounce this in Tibetan. Chad did it really well. Chad, you should try it again. Of course. <clears throat> and I am probably no way getting this correct. But it sounds good. Moskos yadna ki so adtung. Probably way off. I like it. <laughs> Which means, if there is veneration, even a dog's tooth emits light. It sounds now I understand it. <laughs> when I read that earlier, and read the, I was like, I, I, "This means nothing to me." <laughs> He's like, "This doesn't translate well to English." <laughs> now I know the story behind it. It's a little more uh, understandable. Yeah. Now, once more, we see that Tibetan theories about all phenomenon are always the same at heart. All are grounded on the power of the mind, and this is only logical for people who consider the world as we see it to be a subjective vision. Now, only certain Tibetan lamas can create tulpa. These tulpa can be people, animal, places, ideas, or other things. Sometimes they use this for the purpose to cure phobias or desires within themselves. Some of these Tibetan tulpa are reported to be manifested in the physical world. David Neal wrote of the tulpa's ability to develop a mind of its own. Once the tulpa is endowed with enough vitality to be capable of playing the part of a real being, it tends to free itself from its maker's control. David Neal claimed to have created a tulpa in the image of a jolly friar tuck-like monk, which later developed a life of its own. Changed its form, oh, changed its form and demeanor, and had to be destroyed. She went through a process of destroying the tulpa, which took almost six months to complete. David Neal also raised the possibility that her experience was illusionary. She said, I may have created my own hallucination. Alexander David Neal promoted in the same book, Magic and Mystery in Tibet. Tibetan tulpa are not thought forms as described by theosophists in the West. Okay, so she's talking about a tulpa that actually other people saw, correct? Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what we talked about with like Bigfoot and aliens and things like that on how could it possibly be even like a group type tulpa where a bunch of people, like the tooth that was glowing, a bunch of people put enough energy into it to actually make it real, at least to them. Yeah. So, um, like Bigfoot, enough people believe into it that it makes it real to them. Yeah. And there's um, a psychologist, and I read an article in Psychology Today about tulpamancy and the practitioners of it. And one of the psychologists that was interviewed in this article was talking about how he had, he had noticed how alien abductions changed over time. Some of the first alien abductions talk about flying sh boat like ships with sails and everything. And then once we get into a, the newer world where we have movies and things like Star Wars and Star Trek and, you know, all of that, the, the crafts completely changed that were being seen. So that could also be part of that tulpa that, that kind of give relevance to... Or maybe the aliens just traded in their old ships and got new ones. That very well could be it too. Or also, my thought was, it also could just be when you don't know what something is and you're trying to describe it, 
you try to describe it to the best of your ability. So if it was this high-tech spacecraft that somebody was abducted into and all they really knew was like merchant ships and that was the closest thing that they could describe it as, you know, it'd be, it'd be like if you saw a car and you weren't used to cars, you were only used to uh, carts. Yeah. It'd be like, it was like a cart that was without horses and it moved on its own, you know. But you wouldn't picture a Volkswagen driving down the road. <coughs> yeah, you so, make a good point with that. So, I don't know. Interesting thing. So, what about this Western magical practice of the tulpa? All right, Annie Besant, I think is how it's pronounced, was a British socialist, theosophist, women's rights activist, writer, orator, and supporter of both Irish and Indian self-rule. She fought for the causes of freedom of thought, women's rights, secularism, birth control, Fabian socialism, and workers' rights. She was a leading member of the National Secular Society alongside Charles Bradlaugh and the South Place Ethical Society. I can dig her. In her book, Thought Forms, a record of clairvoyant investigation, which was compiled with C.W. Leadbeater and published in London in 1901, from the standpoint of theosophy, they write that they, like many theosophists, are convinced that thoughts are things. And the task of their book is to help the reader understand this. They also wrote that each definite thought produces a double effect, a radiating vibration and a floating form. The radiating vibration conveys the character of the thought, but not its subject. For example, serenity or devotion radiating from one person can stimulate similar vibrations in a nearby person who is receptive. The floating form is a strong and definite thought that has attracted energies from the middle and astral plane and has become, for a time, a kind of independent living being. This is kind of like what y'all were talking about earlier. Like when somebody else is in a bad mood, it puts you in a bad mood. Yeah. And when somebody else is in a good mood, yeah. they yeah. put you in a good mood. We were talking mood. about that before we were recording. I was like, well, we were just talking about that. We were just talking about something. Oh. <laughs> yeah. We were talking well, about that on a, the porch before we started. There's a YouTube video I was watching. There's a lot, quite a few YouTube videos over tulpas and stuff like that. And one of them, the guy's talking about how the first idea of a tulpa and everything kind of starts with the astral point of... It, astral point is open to everyone. And so when you... So like the best way to think of it is like, you know, that time, the times where you think of a song... And your friend who's sitting next to you start singing that song, yeah. or you're wishing that person, you know, someone would contact you, and then all of a sudden that person contacts you, is the idea of manipulating the astral plane and sending messages back and forth, in which a tulpa can be something formed in the astral plane that your friend can see as well. You don't see it in the real world, but you see it in the astral plane, which then leaks into the real world. So it'd be like, I see someone in the corner and Amy looks and she sees someone in the corner too, but it's not really there. It's in the astral plane, but it's just leaking over. Um, that's kind of how he was talking about how you can do that kind of thing. I was mm -hmm. actually thinking about that earlier too, because there are many times that I think about somebody or I dream about somebody and a day or two later I see them yeah. they, or they call me or text me or something. And it's like, Hey, I was just thinking about you. Normally if I say I was just thinking about you, it literally was just like the day or two before. Because I guess I willed you to call me. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of his idea on his belief on that. So. All right. 
I will hit the lottery. I will. The lottery is not a person. But if I can tulpa pies, <laughs> I can tulpa pies. <laughs> 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 All right. Continue on. Sorry. Thought forms directed towards individual produce definitely marked effects. A thought of love and of desire to protect directly strongly towards some beloved object creates a form which goes to the person thought of and remains in his aura as a shielding and protecting agent. It will seek all opportunities to serve and all opportunities to defend, not by a conscious and deliberate action, but by a blind following out of the impulse impressed upon it, and it will strengthen friendly forces that impinge on the aura and weaken unfriendly ones. Thus may we create and maintain veritable guardian angels round those we love. So that kind of reminded me of like when you pray for somebody, you know, you've got a relative that's really sick or is hurting really bad and, you know, please pray, you know, that's kind of what I picture there is, you know, you're sending out that tulpa, that, that energy to protect them. Yeah. In cases in which good or evil thoughts are projected in individuals, those thoughts, if they are to directly fulfill their mission, must find in the aura of the object to whom they are sent materials capable of responding sympathetically to their vibrations. Any combination of matter can only vibrate within certain definite limits, and if the thought form be outside all the limits within which the aura is capable of vibrating, it cannot affect that aura at all. It consequently rebounds from it, and that with a force proportionate to the energy with which is impinged upon it. They identified three classes of thought forms. Number one, that which takes the image of the thinker. When a man thinks of himself as in some distant place or wishes earnestly to be in that place, he makes a thought form in his own image which appears there. Number two, that which takes the image of some material object. The painter who forms a conception of his future picture builds it up out of the matter of his mental body, and then projects it into space in front of him, keeps it before his mind's eye, and copies it. The novelist in the same way builds images of his character and mental matter, and by the exercise of his will, moves these puppets from one position or grouping to another, so that the plot of his story is literally acted out before him. And then that which takes a form entirely its own expressing its inherent qualities in the matter which it draws round it. Those of which we here give specimens are almost wholly of that class. Now part of their theory was that these thought forms would travel the astral plane, being attracted to like-minded thought forms and repelled by opposite-minded thought forms. When it comes to mediumship, mm-hmm. when you're first working, you first discover your mediumship, whether you be a child and it comes natural to you, or you're you know older and you're working on it. In the beginning, you get bombarded with entities coming to you. So much so that sometimes you're like, shut up. Like, I can't function with you right now. And I wonder if that's kind of along that line where they're searching out like-minded people, people who can hear them, see them, what whatnot. And so they're just attracted to them. Whereas there's some people who have never seen or heard or experienced any kind of haunting and think people who have are just crazy if they're the type that repel them. 
Do you believe that to be true? If you do, it must be, because that's what theosophy is. Well, Whatever you believe is true. <laughs> Damn, I'm good at this. <laughs> it, it's a lot about... Uh, it's just a different way to think of it, I guess. Because theosophy is a lot about just listening to your intention. Yeah. And listening to your intuition. Because you're always getting those those messages according to their philosophy. Yeah. Now, Carl Jung was a Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst who founded analytical psychology. He first developed the concept of the psychological complex as an autonomous, largely unconscious, emotionally charged group of memories, ideas, and images. The complex has a sort of body, a certain amount of its own physiology. It can upset the stomach. It upsets the breathing. It disturbs the heart. In short, it behaves like a partial personality. According to Jung, the conscious ego itself is such a complex. Now, I was talking a little bit about Tibetan monks earlier and their tulkas. And their tulkas is what they use to manifest reincarnation of like Dalai Lama. Because to them, reincarnation isn't a soul reincarnation because they don't believe in an ego. Now, I know in like Hinduism, the god and goddesses, gods and goddesses are always reborn. And so that there'll be a child who the child's born with a deformity, they think it's the reincarnation of the god. Mm-hmm. Is it along those same lines too? Or is that actually a soul? You know, I don't know. It must be a soul because they talked about that and the that was a big part of the area that um Ian Stevenson was in. Yeah. Was in India and stuff and that's so it must be a soul in that point. I don't know, just something that popped in my head. See, we're mm-hmm. we're pulling knowledge from our past lives episode. <laughs> <laughs> I feel much smarter since I've been doing this podcast. I don't know about you, too. <laughs> now, in chaos magic practice, there is a use of thought forms called servitors. And a servitor is an entity specifically created by the magician to perform a set range of tasks. Phil Hine is a British writer, book reviewer, and occultist. He writes that servitors are created by deliberately butting off portions of our psyche and identifying them by means of a name trait and symbol after which we can come to work with them and understand how they affect us at a conscious level servitors form part of a thought form process from sigils to servitors to egregores to god form starting out as dumb unintelligent sigils which represent a particular desire or intention. Then a complex of thoughts, desires, and intentions gains such a level of sophistication that it appears to operate autonomously from the magician's consciousness, as if it were an independent being. Then such a complex is referred to as a servitor. Alternatively, a magician may choose to create servitors from negative aspects of his or her psyche such as habits, shortcomings, faults, revulsions, rather than positive desires or intentions. In doing so, he or she can interact with those traits as personal demons and bind or banish them to eradicate them from the psyche. Hein compares the servitor to the Tibetan Buddhist concept of the tulpa. Yeah, I was reading um, that a lot of people's tulpas that are created accidentally are actually tulpas of the person's greatest fear. And, yeah, and they so they kind of have to battle their fear, and when they do destroy the tulpa, 
it's kind of like they've overcome their fear. There's a movie that kind of does something like this, but I cannot think of what it is right now. Well, Supernatural actually had an episode about a tulpa, and I don't know if you remember this episode. It's from the first couple seasons. It might that might be what I'm thinking of. And basically, this tulpa, you know, they're shooting it with their salt rocks and all this stuff, and it's not doing anything. They can't find a body to bury, it, and they have to go through and figure out how to destroy this tulpa because this tulpa has come to life and is hurting people. I can't remember what episode it was, but yeah. I mean, that that is an episode of Supernatural is where they they take on a, a tulpa. Yeah. Well, I was reading about the, yeah, how they will create a tulpa of their greatest fear and then it's some, a lot of times done accidentally is by them thinking too much about them being scared of something, they accidentally create a tulpa of that exact thing. Whether you're scared of spiders and your tulpa is a giant spider. Yeah. Or something like that. So. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think too much about it. <laughs> spiders are cute. Spiders are adorable. I love spiders. Now, Peter J. Carroll, a modern occultist, author, and co-founder of the Illuminates of Thanateros, and practitioner of chaos magic theory, wrote, These beings have a legion of names drawn from demonology of many cultures. Elementals, familiars, incubi, succubi, budwills, demons, atavisms, race, spirits, and so on. When such a being becomes large enough that it exists independently of any one individual as a form of group mind, that is referred to as an egregore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop in there real fast. Those things, the elementals, the familiars, the incubi, the succubi, all that stuff, they're also reptilians. <laughs> I thought recording that episode would get it out of my head, but it's still there. Help me. Maybe I've created my own tulpa. <laughs> now, I had a discussion with my fellow druid Silver Fox about servitors, and I think me and Amy are just going to kind of go back and forth in that discussion. I'll be Dave. <laughs> okay, and I'll be Silver Fox. <laughs> and I'll be Chad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like this game. Let's go. I've done a little research into this looking at Phil Hine. Do you use his method or another method or a method that you've come up with on your own? I've mixed all sorts of things. Sigilism, influenced by numerology, life essence, such as Tantra, moon phases, multi-system, symbolism, crystals, old school, not new age, and the all-powerful intent. Mostly what I practice is, in fact, Druidism. However, an old circle of friends and I went on a theology journey several years ago. This journey led us to believe that perspective reality is a factor in all systems. And even further still, your ancestry also plays a role, i.e. the belief system, whether religious or just spiritual, that is oldest from the religion that the majority of one's ancestors came from, is most likely to produce results when coupled with strong belief and conviction. So I use what works. For me, that is. Now, is it similar to what the Tibetan monks conjured when they make tulpas? Can servitors become physical things? Also, can it be used for astrological, astrological projecting or any other type of apparition? Similar? I wouldn't know. I never delved into Buddhist energy work. Become physical? Man, I wish. Manipulating energy is one thing, but alchemizing it into matter? No, I've never heard of that being a real thing, nor imagined how I might be able to accomplish that. The immense amount of energy that gets burned up to do such a thing is 
in a laboratory is immense for small results. If any kind of energy were to be transferred through a living being for that purpose at the magnitude needed, I expect death. Probably without any satisfactory results. Used for astral projection? I don't think so. I've never found any kind of scrying to give sight like the way most expect. And to use it through another entity's perspective? That's quite a reach, but I could be wrong. To make another type of apparition using any kind of thought form process would just make a thought form in the image of the apparition one is trying to create. Thought forms and other apparitions are all energy wavelengths, each one different, the same way each life form is matter, with each atom having its own vibration or range of vibrations on which it functions. That's what I'm finding in most of my or most of this research. That it's never physical, but it can be perceived by many as being physical. And almost a group-like hallucination. Human eyes are not made to see energy, not normally. There are rare cases, however. So for an entire group to see something, yeah, mass hallucination sounds about right. I was reading one of these books by Peter Carroll. I don't remember off the top of my head that servitors can develop their own independence without a consciousness. Almost like they have, or like it has a type of free will. Is this something that you have encountered? Once. An early manifestation. It was a test, really. When my group and I were playing with everything we could get our hands on, I created a thought form, or was pretty sure I did, as is the case with all of them. Can't see them, can't touch them. Evidence was never enough to confirm above a 50% chance in the early days, which may as well be zero in the eyes of science whose purpose was to collect change, coins, and bring them to me. It was a dual front test to see if I could do it, and if it did in fact seem to manifest, could energy manipulate matter inverse to how matter, that being me, was manipulating energy. We had a rule for this in our group to keep things contained if we could. Thought forms, servitors is what I prefer, so I'm switching here were to be given an end period at which they would expire, in case they didn't work as intended. We used moon cycles. It seemed fitting, and still does. This thing, if it was this servitor, was literally dropping four to ten cigarettes a day in my path while I was walking around on my daily business. I mean literally. I could catch glimpses out of the corner of my eye of a shadow of a bird flying overhead, but lo, just the shadow moving along the ground, mind you, and a half or whole smoke would fall on the sidewalk shortly in front of me. I was probably craving a cigarette while I was performing the rituals. I've been very careful, though, since then, rarely practicing it and being meticulous in preparations. I prefer the simpler things, house cleaning, energy healing, meditation, sacrifices to the planet and universe. Those are things that are hard to mess up, and failing them doesn't really ruin anything, it just means nothing happened. I won't mess with exorcisms. Um, set in on a couple with a Pentecostal demonologist. Not for me. He was training me from the ages of 12 to 15. The sit-ins were where I bowed out. It's not as graphic or gory as the movies. Anybody expecting that is delusional. It's much more subtle and somehow scarier. Tibetan lamas sometimes create their own thought forms and put an undesired aspect of themselves into them like a phobia or des desires that are blocking their path. They then banish or bind them to rid their conscious selves of these traits. 
Is that something you have ever done or think you could accomplish with servitors? I don't see why I couldn't. In fact, I'm sure I've done it by accident. I haven't met a single person that I believe to be able to hold a pure single thought and intent, one single wave throughout the entire brain. Maybe they exist, but I don't know. Human infallibility is where I lean, though, for sure. One reason I don't like group practices. Too many inconsistencies and wave patterns. I'm sure the druids of old were more disciplined than any of us are. Monks? Hmm. They live in and are also affected by the world all the rest of us live in. Modern monks, I mean. I've seen a variety of videos of monks demonstrating the capabilities, in public and in their monasteries. That is in direct violation of their humility vows. Their own belief that it lessens their capabilities by acting outside their own restraint is the very thing restraining them. Yeah, a lot of discipline is lost. All the stuff that I read about these Tibetan Buddhists, it all comes from the 1920s, when there were fewer foreigners allowed to enter. And only after strict examination. Yeah, absolutely. I doubt they do any of this stuff anymore. I'm suspect on some of the claims this explorer wrote at the time. When you were discussing moon cycles to determine the existence of the servitor, I'm assuming you could will it away before that time was up, or was it more difficult than that? Using moon cycles, yes. I'm glad you brought that back up. In days past, they were used because there was a mysticism about the moon and all celestial bodies. But we, as we kept going, took the concept and applied a methodical, logical approach rather than spiritual, considering the ideal that all the universe being connected to be true through the relation of physics articles I can't recall right now. We figured a solid theory was that the gravitational effects the moon has on other planetary bodies was enough of a starting point as any, so we also considered the possible effects of the moon might have based on mineral content and the way different crystallization patterns vibrate a certain way, thereby creating that vibration echoed around them. This also ties into the theory about ancestry-related belief systems. These things actually do put the moon, as well as the rest of our solar system, in range of immediate and possibly direct influence based on their mass and volume. In theory, that is. Kind of like the whole universe is like a giant brain or computer chip, all the parts having influence on the parts nearer touching them, maybe. So many of these things are as good as unprovable, in the eyes of a legitimate scientist anyway, that whole 50% thing. It's not like an actual rule, but those types only accept the triple-digit percentile. That's a really great theory. On Earth here, matter can influence nearby matter, so it would make sense that on a microscale it applies to the microscale of the universe. Ah, yeah. As above, so below. You've been down that road then, I guess. Kind of like throwing a stone in a pond causes ripples until another force causes the ripples to cease. No, energy doesn't move that way. It, it can pass on an atomic level. It's more complicated. Light, electrical, water, crystals, radiation, all different ways. Conduits, that energy and information is communicated in one way or another every day in uses that seem mundane and ordinary to most people. These were things that were kept closely guarded secrets by a few small circles in different ways. All around the world, today's major religions have mounted war upon war, crusade upon crusade, and destroyed as much pagan lore as they could. I hate the word pagan as it's used these days. Overall, 
Christianity has adopted, repainted, and resold under their own brand to the masses. By force, and their leaders still practice the old ways, and use the masses' collective gullibleness. During the singing of hymnals, the whole congregation is as focused as a group can be. The energy in those rooms, anybody can feel it. The leaders up there on stage, the power of pagan gods. It's amazing, and all the masses are fed these mundane items. Contains all the tools, the conduits. Here we are, using them right now. And most products even have gods and the like in those entity symbols as logos. Literally the entire religious elite practice all of these things. And they get what they want by taking it from their followers, financially and spiritually. And they call it Christianity. I did it anyway. I ran it. <laughs> That's really interesting that you went into that because we were also researching egregores, which is a thought form that's composed of an influence by a group of people. But that group is mostly unintentionally putting their willpower into it. It goes into the idea that corporations, religious philosophies, and even paranormal encounters are made up and fed this way. All the gods in mythology have related ties to various orbiting bodies. It's all symbolism, but it boils down to the same thing. It's an overlapping web of theory. It's all overlapping into our research of the power of these thought forms. One can even possibly force their own afterlife experience by belief. And if they feel guilty about their contrary actions in their heart of hearts, they can force a bad one by accident. My heart still skips a beat of joy every time I say or write or think that idea. I believe a lot of the afterlife being influenced by the individual just from reading about the people that were resurrected after. They always experience what they expect, right? That's why they always are so sure that their belief is the only and right way. But we're all different, so there can't be one right road. That's insane to think otherwise. Thank you for having this discussion with me. Have a great weekend. You as well. Good job, guys. Good job. I, I think you guys did a good job. I think I did the best, but uh, good job. Was I a good Dave? Sounded kind of girly, but <laughs> I think you did a good job. Good job. Yeah, good job. Good, 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 good job. I think he brought up a lot of, lot of great <clears throat> points. I did too. Well, and he talked about church. Yeah. I, I mean, from the age of 13 through 15, I was, you know, I went to church Wednesdays and twice on Sundays. I went to church camp, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there is an energy that comes from the people in the church. Because like, we also sang in the choir, so we were up in the, the front, too. You can feel that power, you know, mm -hmm. when, when they're praying, when they're singing. There's an energy in that room. And he's exactly right that the people of the church use that to benefit themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Well, at least in some churches. I'm sure there are churches out there that don't. <laughs> I can't speak for all churches. I've only been to a couple myself. But from my experience, that's kind of the way it works. Now, in that discussion we were having, I defined egregore as an autonomous psychic entity that is composed of and influencing the thoughts of a group of people. Another fun fact is it's also defined as an angelic being from the Book of Enoch. The Book of Enoch? We've talked about that one before. Did you read it yet? Uh, no, I'm still looking for the cliff notes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one of us could read it as uh, Patreon content. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we have Patreon content for years. 
especially if I read it, because it's going to take forever. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine me trying to read that? <laughs> the amount of editing alone that would be involved in that. Oh, I'll do it non-edited and everything. You'll hold me cuss because I can't read. I'll just be pointing at pictures going, and here he's... <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have to do it in a YouTube video. You can sit there like an elementary school teacher and be like... <laughs> I can only point out pictures. <laughs> so we need the pop-up version of the book. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I wonder if that exists. <laughs> but but unlike tulpas or servitors, an egregore is a manifestation of a group consciousness, which can become powerful enough to take on a life of its own. It becomes driven by the collective and often unintentional willpower of large numbers of people. Egregores can manifest in the form of nations, corporations, memes, and ideas. Concepts invented by the human mind. The more these ideals are called upon or repeated or reinforced, the more powerful they grow, and the more likely they will become something beyond mere thought. Now, some examples of possible egregores include corporations, brands and logos, shared ideas, memes, urban legends, the internet. So there's our proof for our Bigfoot idea. Yeah. Nations, flags, culture, patriotism, statism, spiritual or other group beliefs, paranormal entities and experiences. It's possible that many of the paranormal experiences people have, such as alien abductions, may very well be the result of a collective consciousness thought form. Now, egregores. <laughs> <laughs> now, egregores don't need to be conjured. They can manifest over time through sheer awareness and acknowledgement by large groups of people. You need not be consciously aware to participate in the creation of an egregore. All right, I want to jump because you're talking about beliefs and all of that stuff. Now, I'm going to go political here. Yeah, go for it. I should totally make my own political podcast, dude. Warning, warning, warning. Yeah, I'm going political. So, in theory, those who oppose Trump are making his failures happen. At the same time that those who blindly follow Trump are continuing his... Success? Does that make sense? Did yeah. I, did I heard that right? Yeah. So, they're clashing together? It's It's like the new age concept of... Putting good vibrations out there gives good vibrations. Good vibration. I can't think of the song. How's it go? Something, something, expectation. <laughs> yep, that's it. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> something, 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 something. Good vibrations. Something, 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 something. Now, now this kind of seems more in, in tune with that, uh, that theosophist thing where where these things are made just without even us being aware of yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you and know. I think I think a lot of us do that anyway. Like you and I were talking about um, talking about our pillow talk is about the podcast. Just so you guys know. <laughs> yeah, or other philosophy. <laughs> but we were talking about uh, tulpamancy and and how we all kind of have our little tulpas that we create to help us get through our daily lives. We also create tulpas that slow us down in your life. Yeah. By those those who constantly think of the worst things about themselves or about the worst of the situations are creating things that are creating the worst of situations. Um, yeah. I mean, that's one of those... I've always one of those who believe in positively thinking of something is going to create a positive outcome. 
as if you start thinking negative of everything you're about to do, your outcome is going to be negative. You're going to have a negative, yeah. Well, so. here's something that I do, because I'm, I'm really a shy person. And in my job, I have to be more outgoing. And it took me a long time to do that. With our daughter, when our daughter started school, I'd have to go and I'd have to go and meet with the teacher and I'd have to, you know, talk to people. I hate that. And I would create this persona, this person to do that. It's like I have my phone voice at work. Yeah. I answer the phone and I'm a completely go lucky kind of person. And in real <laughs> life, I'm just like, I don't want to freaking talk to you. I hate you. You're an idiot. <laughs> but, you know, you got to make that persona that's going to be welcomed along well, with other people. So. And, well, this, this persona that I would put on, and as I'd sit there and I'd repeat to myself, like, all right, you got this. Nobody's going to think otherwise. You know, you can fool people into believing that you've got confidence, you know. And I mean, I would sit there and tell myself this type of thing. And then I would, at the end of it, be like, and if you screw it up, you don't have to see him again. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my work one. Like, anytime I've had to go to, like, a conference or anything like that, I'm like, yeah, if I screwed up, I don't have to see these people again. <laughs> well, see, like, I'm just one of those people, <clears throat> because kind of like you, I'm, kinda, I'm shy and don't like social interaction very much, is any situation in my life where I'm having to meet someone new or something like that, I'm always trying to think positive and yeah, put on this persona of this happy-go-lucky person. And I'm really not, but the more I do that, the more I find myself becoming that. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of the idea of I put enough thought and energy into becoming this alternate per- persona that I'm slowly actually becoming that person. But, well, see, I know. also have it in the negative aspect. Like at work, when I have to be the boss, I hate having to be the boss. Me too. <laughs> I mean, I hate when you have to be the boss. It, well, I, it really <laughs> it pisses me off. Like I'll walk back to my office, like fucking make me be a boss. I don't like this because I don't like to be mean. I don't like to be. Well, also as a woman, you become a bitch. I'm not being assertive. I'm being a bitch. You know, that's that's the way it's perceived from other people. And well, that's the same way with men, though. You're, you're not an being asshole. assertive. Yeah, you're or yeah. you're being a dick. But. I don't like to be mean. I hate being mean. And when they make me be mean, I have to like put on a whole nother persona. Like I have to step into my boss clothes and be like, all right, you're screwing up. You need to fix this. You know? Well, since we're kind of talking about this, the thought of split personalities being tulpas or thought uh, manifestations. Um, there's the talks of whether instead of actually having a split personality is you have a, you're creating a thought manifestation or a, what were they called? Um, Egregore? Servitors. Uh, serv- servitor. Servitor. Well, um, that's gonna... that way. And then it kind of becomes its own and takes over and makes you that person. Like that would be a way of explaining a split personality as well. Yeah, it would in, be. In yeah. theory. Yeah. And I mean, I read that article in Psychology Today and we're going to talk a little bit more about the psychological aspects of Tulpa Mancy and all that kind of stuff here in a minute. But yeah, if it, especially if it's an unintentional Tulpa, I could see that very well being the case. Because you don't even realize you're doing yeah. it. And then, I, I, yeah, I could definitely see that. And heck, most of the Tulpas, well, there's areas of Tulpa Mancy where the Tulpa is an animal or it's another gender or things like that. And when you watch some of the interviews with people who are actually allowing their tulpas to come forth and speak, their voices change just like 
those who claim to suffer from split personalities, or there's actually another term for it, but you know, split, you know, the split personalities where their voices change, some of them speak other languages, things like that. But with like tulpamancy, you're doing it on purpose. But if you subconsciously made yourself a tulpa that then comes forward and starts talking for you, that could be pretty scary. And if you can't explain that to somebody else, like a tulpa tulpamancer can understand what it is and they can control when the other the tulpa comes up. Whereas if you don't know you've even done it and these tulpas keep coming forward, that's going to be freaky for you and people around you. So then they're going to think you're schizophrenic. They're going to, you know, all different types of things. And it very well could be, I guess, an, a reason for that. Because I don't think psychologists really understand where that split personality comes from. I mean, it, it's like a lot of psychologists and, uh, sci- or a lot of psychologists and um, psychiatrists do not even accept multiple personalities as a disorder. So N- Now, didn't, I'm sorry, didn't, Carl Jung addressed that as as it was pretty much like you were making yourself a second ego. Yeah, I think so. Which I mean, he had already said is like a construct. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that 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 could be a explanation for multiple personalities. Now, Amy was talking about topomancers and topomancy. The concept of topomancy was popularized and secularized in the Western world through fiction, gaining popularity on television in the late 1990s and 2000s. I remember, I think there was one in Twin Peaks. It was something Bob, I can't remember. I've honestly never watched Twin Peaks. I I know. I heard there was one on the X-Files. I never really watched the X-Files. I never watched it either. In the first season of Supernatural, the episode Hell House, there is a tulpa in that one. Yeah, that's the one I was talking about with Chad earlier. Yeah. Yeah. In 2009, posters on the discussion board 4chan started experimenting with creating tulpas, and the community gained popularity through the emergence of the My Little Pony Friendship is Magic fandom. So it's just scary the fact you put, like, uh, creating tulpas and 4chan in the same sentence. <laughs> Because everything on 410 is scary anyway, in a different way. <clears throat> and especially when you put bronies into it. <laughs> when we bring bronies and Tibetan monks together. You're having a hell have, of a time. <laughs> we have an awesome podcast. But I think the reason it kind of went to 4chan is, is because everywhere else they were getting trolled, they were getting bullied, they were getting maligned, well, yeah. they were... I mean, there's, there is a big stigma on mental disorders. Yeah, they're going to be told that they're crazy, that this isn't really happening. Well, it's happening to them, so that doesn't mean it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Now, Dr. Samuel Vigier, did I pronounce that right? Sure. He's the guy who wrote the article in um, Psychology Today, too, but I, I, I'm sure that sounds great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, he's an anthro- anthropologist and cognitive scientist. He is an assistant professor and co-director of the Culture, Mind, and Brain program, where he is affiliated with the Division of Social and Transcultural Psychiatry, the Department of Anthropology, and the RAS Lab in Cognitive Neuroscience. Dr. Vizier accepts a limited amount of postdoc, graduate, and honors undergraduate students for supervision in anthropology, cultural psychiatry, social neuroscience, and cognitive science-related disciplines on the following topics. 
cultural learning, social, con- social cognition and cognitive biases, placebo effects and hypnosis, perception and illusions, sociality and cooperation, childhood and comparative child rearing, cyber anthropology, addiction, romantic love, personhood, psychedelics, Brazil, indigenous livelihoods, uh, Canadian subdardict, and Brazilian Amazon. Now, Samuel Vazier wrote that on February 2015, the Reddit forum, which carries most of the Tulpamancy conversations in English, the fans attempted to use meditation and lucid dreaming techniques to create imaginary friends. Surveys by Vizier explored this community's demographic, social, and psychological profiles. These individuals, calling themselves Tulpamancers, treat the Tulpas as a real or somewhat real person. The number of active participants in these online communities is in the low hundreds, and few meetings have taken place in person. They belong to primary urban, middle-class, Euro-American adolescent, and young adult demographics and they cite loneliness and social anxiety as an incentive to pick up the practice. 93.7% of respondents express that their involvement with the creation of tulpas has made their condition better. That is a very high percentage. Yeah. And led to new, unusual sensory experiences. Some practitioners have sexual and romantic interactions with their tulpas, though this practice is controversial and trending towards taboo. One survey found that 8.5% support a metaphysical explanation of tulpas. 76.5% support a neurological or psychological explanation, and 14% have other explanations. That's actually really interesting. Now, in that Psychology Today article, Dr. Vizier, he, well, he talked about how it's actually very beneficial to people who have anxiety and depression and ADD Mm -hmm. to be able to create these tulpas because it gives them a person to communicate with. It gives them a way to get their thoughts and feelings out. He said there is no help with like, it doesn't help with autism or anybody on the spectrum because you're sharing the same brain. So if there's not that, there's a limitation in the brain, there's limitations going to be in the tulpa as well. Yeah. Um, now, this is part of the article. He says, I want to insist that hallucinations and psychosis are not productive terms to think of tulpa experiences and voice hearing experiences at large. It's both too simplistic and inaccurate to think of voice hearing as a necessary, as necessarily a pathological experience. In modern day psychiatry, the presence of non self authored thoughts is often but not always understood as a sign of mental illness. In practice, one can only speak of pathology when, it, when there is a clear sign of distress. If a person describes her inner experiences of being scary, stressful, or preventing her from functioning well in everyday life or in any, other, or any others around her report being scared or prevented from functioning by her behavior, then they can safely speak of pathology. As we have seen, this is far from being the case with the vast majority of tulpamancers. Anthropologists have long documented trance disassociation and spirit possession and other anomalous experiences that occur in ritual, often spiritual context in the absence of trauma and pathology. In such cases, such as condumble spirit possession, I don't know if I said that right. I doubt I said that right, actually. 
In Brazil or Madagascar, these experiences are understood as normal and desirable. So basically, he's just saying that if, if it's not scary, if it's not preventing them from functioning in everyday life, it's not hurting, hurting them or hurting anybody else or preventing anybody else from functioning, then it's not considered a psychosis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's... I mean, there's so much stigma about mental illness out there. I mean, we even tell our children that their imaginary friends aren't real. Exactly, you know? yeah. Well, there was a... I read somewhere about a survey that was done of this... And it was talking about, like, thoughtful mani- uh, manifestations and stuff like that. And that of the survey, only 8.5% of people surveyed believed it was a thought form manifestation or a tulpa and the other percentage all believed it was a psycho psychosis or psychological problem very interesting there's there's a stigma on mental illness that needs to go away people need to get help and when you put the stigma on there people don't want to be crazy yeah and they they tend not to seek help exactly if we're able if we are able to as a society and as a community come together and get rid of a lot of the mental illness uh, mental illness stigma and learn about mental illness. I think that's a big thing is just learning about it and learning what it is. Yeah. Because most mental illnesses can be treated. I think that stuff like this, people get called crazy for no reason because they don't have a psychosis. And I think that harms the mental illness stigma because people who aren't crazy are being called crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not fair to them and it's not fair to people who actually do need the help. And I'm going to step down off my soapbox and we continue on with Tulpa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tulpamancy, it, it seems to disregard this stigma. And you, it's by creating a thought form which shares this life with you. Someone or something you can communicate with, interact with, and eventually see. Now, Tulpas are made by Tulpamancers within the mind of an individual to become an imaginary friend through the power of will. Now, when starting Tulpamancy... First, you begin with intention, your own intention, and then the intention of your tulpa. A tulpa's purpose isn't important in this step. Is it for companionship, for emotional support, for a best friend, or for a guide? And then comes the visualization, where you define how it looks, sounds, and smells, and then you create a world for it to live in and for you to visit. Which is sometimes known as a wonderland. Yeah. Yeah, which is known as a wonderland. And most people create him in a form where in their mind they know they can't be harmed there and their imaginary friend can't be harmed there either. It's, mm. it's a safe place. Now, I actually had a psychologist help me create a tulpa for that purpose. And I was going to a psychologist because I was experiencing some PTSD from an accident that had happened when I was 11. And basically, she made me create a tulpa of my 11 year old self and then she had me create a home for this my 11 year old self to live in that was a safe place nothing could hurt hurt my 11 year old self in this house and she walked me through decorating it you know like everything and then and then we'd go through our session and then she'd tell me to go back to that house and then go and sit and tell that 11 year old self what i had learned or tell that 11 year old self what I needed to hear at that moment in my life. And so even psychologists are using tulpas. And she didn't call it a tulpa, but that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, it describes the entire process. That's exactly how you would build yourself a wonderland 
in your mind and for your tulpa to live. So my tulpa lived on a beach. <clears throat> yeah, it was nice. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean, you know, it was going in and talking to my eleven-year-old tulpa and helping myself heal from events that happened then. And, you know, it was very beneficial. And because at that moment in time, those events were really affecting my life. Yeah. And I needed, I needed the help to work past them. And so using a tulpa helped move past it. Now, I don't recommend dabbling. I did my tulpa with a trained professional. Mm-hmm. If you are going, if you want to create a tulpa or a servitor or anything like that. If you want to consciously do it, do research, find out about it. Don't just dabble. Dabbling is dangerous. Dabbling is dangerous in all areas of the spiritual and the occult. Um, Dave and I have talked about this actually when it came to spiritualism and communicating with spirits. How Ouija's are out. How dabbling is, can be very dangerous because you don't know what you're doing. So you want to make sure that you know what you're doing before you start trying to create a tulpa. No, I mean, we're not necessarily saying, you know, don't don't look into the occult. Don't look into the mysteries. And we're not saying don't do magic, don't do rituals, don't do anything like that. What pretty much what we're saying is either do them or don't do them. Don't walk the in-between line. Yeah. Pick do, one side or the other. Do the research when you're going to do it. Yeah. Or just don't do it. Exactly. You're you're either all in or you're all out. And I mean, I've actually, after doing this research on the tulpas and stuff, I'm kind of considering doing some more to help clear up some spaces, some some issues going on, you know, personally, professionally, that maybe need a little bit of help. And I'm going to do a little bit more research before I dive into it. But I will also use some of what I learned from the my psychologist to make it happen. Now I'm going to get on my soapbox for a while. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to say what I've seen from these people who who create these things and talk about them online. People are malign them. They they bully them. They, I mean, I don't understand why. If it's helping them, you need to just fuck off and let them do their thing. Because people fear what they don't know. And people are too concerned with everybody else. Instead of just worrying about themselves and making a better person for themselves. They want to demean everyone else around them to make themselves feel better. So instead of actually working on what they lack to make them a better person, they're going to harp on you for what you lack to make them feel bigger. And that's um, kind of the society we live in nowadays. I mean, I admit I was bullied in middle school and it was because I was different from that person. I was, I lacked certain skills that that person lacked. But I was smarter than that person. So in return, I got bullied for being a nerd, for being yeah. unathletic, for different. Yeah. And it was all because he wanted to feel superior to me. Yeah, yeah. Because, because he felt inferior. inferior yeah. Well, and so this is a way with online nowadays. It gives these people a soapbox to stand on and say horrible things about people or about their beliefs because that person's never going to see them. Yeah. yeah, that's true. They can say all the mean things they want, and no one knows who they really are because it's online. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I mean, that even goes back to when we when we posted our Luciferianism and Masonry episodes. 
there were some people online who were very negative about them. And it was like, you guys, quit being mean. They and weren't even listening to the episodes and no, being mean they were about ju- it. They, yeah, they were just making They just judgments. saw the title and wanted to be judgmental about it. And when we quit judging people <laughs> and actually learn, the stigma goes away because you're not scared of it. And that's what this whole podcast is about. It's about putting the information out there. And I think I say this in almost every episode. It's about getting the information out there so that you're not scared of it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I By mean, coming together and learning everything new, it makes society in a whole better. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's what we're doing here. We're trying to hear, be here to help you gain knowledge to help make everything better. We're not trying... To, we, and if we demean somebody by accident, we don't mean to. A lot of our stuff is jokes. Yeah. I will go ahead and say that because I know I say some things that after I say, I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. Some of the stuff gets <laughs> edited out. Some, you guys don't hear everything we say. Sometimes we say stuff and we're like, God, we're idiots. But that's why we don't do live shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if we do, it will be scripted. But, <laughs> Dave on his soapbox. I think we all jumped on that soapbox yeah. with you. <laughs> I think we're on that soapbox yeah. with you. Uh, but pick it up, people. I'm just. I. I, I would go instead of letting Dave speak about it. I'm going to say one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> Is because I'm so fight want to fight for this part of society. Is where. I am so tired of the judgmental people that automatically want to hate someone and call them names, attack them mental, if emotionally and all that stuff just because of what they believe in. Yeah. I get that from people who are religious. Yeah. I, I have a few friends that, well, we're not friends anymore because of my beliefs, atheist. Instead of, you know, if we all came together and we're willing to understand each other's differences and respect them, the things we could do in this world would be amazing. Oh, yeah. And it goes the same with like political parties. We kind of talked about this on another episode. If we could just quit fighting each other every everything and come together on the things we can, things would get so much better. It's the reptilians. Reptilians, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dave, your soapbox is back. I'll step um. off. <laughs> I felt tall on there. We'll dust it off for you so you can get back on it. I mean, y'all, y'all pretty much hit the nail on the head with (laughs) what I'm, what I'm going after here. Now, I want to step up here too. I'm not. This is not. I'm not on the soapbox. I'm going to actually go back to something that was talked about. Are you on the high horse? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm on the attempts at making comedy. (laughs) No, I'm going to go to when it was talking about making friends. Like part of topomancy is to make friends. Yeah, yeah. And my brain, when at first when I was reading about this and I was learning about this stuff, I was like, you know, I have a hard enough t- hard enough time keeping up with my real life friends and keeping communication with them. I would go insane. My my tulpa would be so mad at me because I wouldn't be talking to it because I'd be busy doing other things. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> See, I'm the other way. I mean, I have issues staying in contact with my friends, but at the same time. If I had a tulpa that just, you know, showed up when I needed someone, it'd be so much easier. Well, I wouldn't have real friends. <laughs> my, my, my thing is... I'm Except for I play magic and I need actually need someone on the other side of the table. I stay busy. Like, there are very few times that I just sit and do nothing. And when I sit and do nothing, I enjoy it. But, you know, I've got two kids. I run the business. I do the podcast. I do the editing for the podcast. We do the research for the podcast. You know, we got... 
other things to take care of. You need like 12 more days in the week. At, pretty much. So I get busy doing things and I just completely, I mean, it's bad, but I completely forget about people. You need to create some tulpas that help you <laughs> with all this stuff. Maybe I should create myself some personal assistance. This tulpa is in charge of making sure the bills get paid. This tulpa is in charge of making sure the kid. Gets I wouldn't do. Change. I wouldn't do the bills getting paid thing because then the bills probably wouldn't get paid. <laughs> no. Then, then, no. then when the electric company calls, me like so that was the tulpa's problem. <laughs> so you see now what you're describing is more of a servitor. Yes. Because because these kind of tulpas are just pretty much somebody you interact with and talk with. It's yeah. It's for people that you know have bad social anxiety. Yeah. Where I have to say. I think I may have a tulpa, and it's myself, because yeah. I speak to myself a lot. Well, that's very much part of it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and I lose arguments with myself, <laughs> sadly, way too often. Now, I think this kind of tulpa, Mancy, that they're referring to here really doesn't have much to do with, like, servitors or or uh, even the Buddhist concept of tulpa other than just in the name, you know? This is more like a form of psychological therapy. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a callback to what Samuel Vigier said. Ninety three point seven percent of respondents express that their involvement with the creation of tulpas has made their condition better. You don't even get that kind of result with medication. No. Yeah. Well, and like I said, our my psychologist had me make a tulpa yeah. to deal with my yeah. issues. So. And you were and I mean you were part of that ninety three percent. Yeah, and it helped a lot. I mean. It was that on top of some e- or MDR, EMDR therapy. Yeah, yeah. But which is eye, rapid eye movement, which is actually really interesting. If you're into psychology, look, and you don't know about it, I'd look into it because it's a really interesting form of therapy. Yeah, it was actually developed here in our own state after the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995. Yeah, our counselor was actually one of the first ones trained in it to go and work with the survivors of the bombing. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to do it for Tulpas. If you have any questions about Tulpas, if you have anything you want to add, let us know. If I said that Tibetan name wrong, just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he doesn't care. He just he, he sounded the best. Out of all of us trying to pronounce it, oh, he sounded the best. <laughs> I'm sure I was pronouncing some names wrong because I, like, I oh, was talking too. to you earlier and I was talking about Carl Jung and you were like, do you mean Carl Young? And I was like, <laughs> Maybe. (laughs) 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 And names are hard. But thank you for listening. Please go to Apple iTunes and rate and review us. That helps us get on lists for other people to find us. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at UNP Normalcy. And you can always email us at UNPNormalcy at gmail.com or DM us on any of the social medias. I'm the Instagram person. Chad's the Twitter person. And then Dave and I, Dave, Chad, and I all share Facebook. You don't know who you're going to get to on Facebook, but it'll be Chad on Twitter and it'll be me on Instagram. <laughs> and please go to our Patreon and donate to a page if you have it in your heart to do so. At a dollar or more per month, you get a shout out on the podcast. What up? And access to bonus content. Now, there's not a lot of bonus content yet, but we're going to be filling up some bonus content. I know we've got an. Um, Dave went on and recorded some more about great aliens that's on there. Chad and I are going to do some... um, The chilling tales of Sabrina. We're going to discuss this. This show, this new Sabrina on Netflix and kind of our feelings on the show and kind of go into a little bit about the drama between the show and the Satanist temple and all that stuff. Also, we kind of had an idea. Um, 
for those who do Patreon. Um, me and Amy were thinking about maybe starting to watch a movie or a show that kind of relates to the occult um, and then kind of do an episode on the Patreon talking about it. Um, and we want viewer suggestions or listener suggestions, not viewer. <laughs> they can view the movie too. <laughs> but uh, suggestions that, you know, so we can talk about it. So send yeah. us those and we'll make a list of movies to start watching. Yes. Um, for $3 or more, you'll get a shout out on the podcast. What up? <laughs> Bonus content. And you'll get on a mailing list where we will mail you greeting cards and anything cool that we get. We get stickers. I think I'm going to mail out stickers to everybody who is on the $3 and up. Uh, $5 or more a month, we get the ET squad. And that's a shout out on the podcast. What up? <laughs> Access to bonus content, uh, the mailing list, and then Dave will give you a personal OM reading. Bouncing a wow wow. I mean, if you want it to be bouncing a wow wow, make your question. <laughs> when will I get laid next? And then, or how, what do I need to do to get laid next? And then Dave will tell you what you need to do to get laid. Wear deodorant, change your socks, and your underwear, and drink water. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's. The military, right? That's the helmet for everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And for $10 or more a month, you get a shout out on the podcast. What up? Access to bonus <laughs> content. <laughs> Access to <coughs> bonus content. Um, our mailing list, the OM reading. Um, and then you'll get an autograph picture of us because we're so cool. You want an autograph picture of us, right? Um, if you're paying $10 a month, they probably do. Yeah. We're pretty awesome. Uh, and then an early episode release. So you'll get the episodes a day earlier than everybody else. Um, and then $100 more chat will go out on a date with you. Yep. The offer still stands. As long as you're in Oklahoma. Because <laughs> it's going to need to be like $500 a month for him to come see you if you're elsewhere. I guess you could Skype date him. Yeah. <laughs> Some FaceTime. <laughs> like, we're now at... Fa- FaceTime, Netflix, and chill. <laughs> Do you remember the episode of How I Met Your Mother where she had the... M- the Marshall doll. Yeah, she put the iPad over the face of it. And he was he was like at the reception dinner and stuff because he'd missed his flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe nothing that creepy. Yeah, who knows? Uh, <laughs> but we definitely appreciate you all for listening. If there's anything else you want in bonus content, if you want Dave to read you the Book of Enoch, then let us know. We'll get the books of Enoch and Dave will start recording. Oh, yeah. Or, or, I mean, any number. I got all kinds of books about mythology and stuff. I mean, yeah. If you'd like to hear my voice reading. I know my daughter does. Yeah. And he's the only one here who can read, so proficiently. <laughs> Out loud. <laughs> but we all have the ability to read. We just don't do it well. <laughs> <laughs> we can't. We don't have the proficiency to read out loud. Yes. <laughs> but thank you guys for listening and until next week. Keep digging.